and all these people came together and they were excited. They were they were so excited and they were like liberals and conservatives and independents and Republicans and Democrats. They were all working together. It wasn't like um, they were all working together for the good of something else and someone else. It was amazing. You know that one guy who said this is a place of darkness. He found me. He, was like, he goes, "This was a place of darkness, but you guys have turned it into a place of light." Welcome to the Adventure Podcast, a platform designed to inspire young, mission-minded entrepreneurs to start businesses and ministries of their own. Throughout these episodes, we will be hearing the stories of Adventist professionals and leaders who have thrived in their spheres by putting God first. Welcome to the latest episode of Adventure Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Flannery Valdez, and my co-host is Weimar College business student, Gabriel Harrison. Uh, today, our guest is Pastor Don McIntosh. Pastor Don McIntosh is currently a teacher at Weimar and does a number of other things around here. He has a history of getting others involved in various ministries. And for this reason, I'm pleased to have Don here talk about some of his experiences. Hey, thanks for having me. I mean, uh, it's a delight. And I don't know if this is your first episode, but... Second episode. Sep- second episode. Yep. That's, uh, you're taking a risk by inviting me, but that's <laughs> good. I'm glad I could, I could come. Yeah, we're glad to have you. So... Um, you you become an Adventist at some point in your life. You're you're a, you're a nurse, and then you become an Adventist. Now, how does how do you go from being nurse a nurse to uh, starting to be a pastor? Oh, interesting question. Yeah, no, I I grew up in a home where my mother was a nurse and my dad was a pastor, so I'm both. I'm a purse, so a pastor and a nurse. <laughs> but my mother was, you know, um, very instrumental in me becoming a nurse. I saw her working with people. I, she she had very high EQ, you know, emotional intelligence, and she could motivate, you know, people to get things done, including myself. When I went to school, I didn't do so well in school because I uh, was more into leadership than and than following, and so I <clears throat> got in trouble a lot in school, and I would usually go home. And I ended up being homeschooled and schooled because when I was at school, I didn't get anything done, and then then during the you know, when I got home, my mother would have to motivate me to do that. So I, I, I resonated with her. She was also very kind, and people really loved my mother. And so when I was thinking, what will I do in my life, I couldn't think of anything. And I said, well, I, why don't I – I guess initially I thought I wanted to be a pastor when I was about nine years old. But then later on I said, no, I want to be a nurse. And so I made that transition. Um to towards nursing and I would say I don't regret it at all. Nursing is a great degree. It gives you a lot of touch points with people. It helps you know what people are thinking about and you talk to a lot of people depending on what type of nurse you were. I ended up being an emergency room nurse for most of my career and you meet everybody in the society. Everybody ends up in the emergency room at some point and um, so yeah I had a pulse on everything happening in the city I was working in. I knew all the leaders and all the police officers who were very close to us, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. That transition was a, a great transition. And then did you ask about how I became a nurse or then? No, I was just wondering how it went from nursing to, to pastoring. It's a, big, oh, it's yeah. a big change. Yeah, okay, yeah. So then the transition to pastoring was really started um, witnessing at work. It's kind of a funny story because um, – 
uh, I started giving money away at work. So I gave money away on um, if I ever had to work on a on a Sabbath period from sundown Friday to sundown Sabbath, I always gave that money away. Mm-hmm. And people started to know that from the community. And it was a rather poor community that I was working in. So I was giving away all my money, and they knew about that. Then I told them about it. So they would line up, and I would <laughs> give them money or give them help them with their crutches or whatever they're buying their medicine. Mm-hmm. And then I got in trouble. My boss called me in and said, we really like you, Don. And I was like, stop, just a minute. That's what every girl that's broken up with me <laughs> has ever said. And that's happened a number of times. And And then she said, you know, we don't want you to – um, work here. Um, we want you. Can you work in here? But we do not want you to work from sundown Friday to sundown Sabbath. <laughs> so why is that? She goes because all these people coming and this is not really uh, you know a humanitarian uh, endeavor. <laughs> so then, uh, then I went to the church and I told him I said, look, and I've been helping these people, and so now we've got to help them. And so then they started coming to my church, and then, of course, I needed to be leading out. And then I started um, preaching every other week. I was working with uh, two pastors from Pioneer Memorial Church in Michigan, Dwight Nelson and Skip McCarty, and they were planting a church. So pretty soon I was preaching every other week. And then I went to a board meeting, and. They asked me to be a lay associate pastor. I never put in a resume, and I never put in a resume to be a pastor. I then was called into the ministry by O.J. and Phil Mills, who somehow heard about me from one of my members. And I was working as as a nurse, you know, and I wasn't at all convinced I should be a pastor, but they were convinced of that. And they gave me a call, and then I went out and visited, and... The rest is history. I became a pastor, and uh, so the transition was not too rocky because I grew up in a pastor's home. Mm-hmm. I knew some things, although the first week in the district, there were three funerals, and I'd never done a funeral before. I'd seen many of them, but three funerals on the first weekend. So it was baptism by fire yeah. into to that. Is a funeral the hardest thing you think you have to do as a pastor? Uh Funerals are the most uh, evangelistic s- service in the church. And really? they also are mm-hmm. the, because everybody's listening. When people go to a funeral, they really are listening to what the pastor has to say. It's the only connection that we have with people through the love of God. Can't, death can't separate us. So they really listen. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather do a funeral. Well, this sounds weird, but I know that people listen more to a pastor at a funeral than at a wedding. I've actually had people at a wedding say, you know, we want you to do our wedding, but could you just keep your talk to eight minutes? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that'd be good. Because, you know, what's going to preach coming out of this service is your wedding, and you're, you, you're, you're the sermon here. And so hmm. we want your sermon to last longer than eight minutes. But I'll just give an intro to your marriage. <laughs> 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 so um, I had a, a side question to ask you. I, I heard you actually have kind of a, a history of, of business, and um, you started a business, I think, when you were in college. It was like Max Snack or something. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an embarrassing thing. Uh, Max Snack Shack, when the hungry's attack, don't panic, just call back and bring your brown paper sack. You always want to come back because there's nothing that we lack. And so, yeah, I had all kinds of rhymes like that uh, that could come to me if I sat here for a minute. It got very successful because uh, 
it's embarrassing, really, because <laughs> of what I was selling, uh, which was, let's just put it, would not be on the Weimar cafeteria menu. Let's put that <laughs> down there. I had I actually built my room um, a loft, and underneath the loft I had several refrigerators, and I had shelving, <laughs> and I had seating arrangements there, and my house, my my room was always Grand Central Station. I mean, there was always many, many people in the room of many different uh, backgrounds. And <laughs> and then my my roommate was, uh, his name was Ruben. And we would just, you know, we'd be up in the loft and and I pretty much, <laughs> uh, pretty much hired him by giving him whatever he wanted to eat out of the store at any time. <laughs> and I knew that would work because he got so sick of junk food that he wouldn't eat anymore after like the first three weeks. <laughs> anyway, so I was on the, I was on a, a network called Three ABN, and they were interviewing me. And he called in and he goes, why are you talking about health? Why are you talking about health? I know what you did in college, right? And I was like, Ruben? He's like, yeah, this is Ruben. And then, and then I, he talked to me and then I go, so what are you doing now? And he said, I'm a dentist. <laughs> so anyway, God works with us. And, but there was a lot of business principles there, a lot of things, marketing, a lot of um, – surveys of what people desired and what I could get away with. The business actually came to a very <laughs> sudden end when when one of the vendors um, pulled up to deliver. A, it was actually a semi-truck <laughs> pulled up to deliver a bunch of beverages right during the church service. I, I didn't tell them to come during the church service, but they went right past the, right past the church and then one of the ushers or deacons came and got me and said, the dean wants to see you now. That was the end of Max Snack Shack. It came to a smashing end. But it was very successful, so successful that other things actually failed in my in my life that year. Or struggled. Like school. Again, school. <laughs> oh, man. So did, did any of the lessons that you learned from there actually stick with you? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, how to interact with people. Um, the importance of food actually in any business I think is huge because it slows people down and allows them to talk to each other. It creates a warm environment. And I had many seminal discussions there in my store. (laughs) (laughs) And I also learned a lot about people in the community, you know, and I would buy day-old products that were no longer available at the store, but were basically very cheap. <laughs> I would have full disclosures, you know. Um, also, it was a great environment because a number of the students who were on probation and couldn't <laughs> leave the dorms <laughs> only had one store to go to. And um, Hey, Monopoly. Yeah, so it was kind of a <laughs> monopolistic situ- situation. Um, yeah, I learned a lot of things I would not do, too. You know, you, you can compromise yourself by what you sell and what you do and what you stand for and I I learned that as well, and I also learned that you, it's pretty hard to do school and a business like that because because just of the nature of it, uh, it can be all consuming. And it took a lot of time to do things well, and hmm. and and it would divide your attention. So huh, okay, so let's get back to you being a pastor. Um, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the things I don't know if this is the, if my time is right, but before you came to Weimar, you got involved with something called Pathways. No, it was after I was at Weimar. We started uh, the um, health program. Um, 
you know, so health is health evangelism and leadership training for him. It's an acronym, health. Mm-hmm. We started that program. And as a part of that program, I began to study through the Bible again to see what the Bible had to say about health. And I was very interested to see if Bible prophecy was actually related to health. Hmm. And I began to get very excited about these concepts of health that you see in the book of Daniel. And I had seen that a number of years before in my local church where we had done programs for the community and, and really seen all the physicians in the, that community get engaged in referring their patients to our church. And also at the church, I also began to think about our health programs more of a business model and actually hmm. charge people for the health programs. Hmm. And the reason I charge people, because if you charge people for something, they, they have more accountability and the value of that goes up. And so the value of your organization goes up. I'll give you an example. For instance, five-day plans or stop smoking things, clinics, churches do that. They often do that for free. Churches always think that something is free. It grips people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's true because hmm. it, I think you get abused sometimes as a church and they don't see the value of it. Hmm. And to illustrate that, I went down to a company, it was actually the Coleman Lantern Company, where they sell um, you know, sporting type equipment. So I went down there and they had a big plant there and I said, um, do you, you know, would you like to have a smoking cessation program for your company? And they said, yeah, we're actually looking into that. And they they asked me how much it would be. And I said, it's $50 a person. It's $3,000 down. And they say, why is that? And I told them all the hours of stuff that would be presented huh. and the people that would be involved. They interviewed a number of other programs. And once they interviewed them, they came back to me and they said, you're actually the best deal and you have the biggest history and you have the greatest name behind you. And you did this, your church did this for the... The military, uh, stopping, stop smoking programs for them. Huh. So here's the $3,000, here's the contract. And I, I also said we have to have at least 50 people. So they had 50 people times 50. <laughs> then nice. I went back to the board and I said to the board, I said, look at, look at this. You know what, we need to respect ourselves a little more. We need to recognize that what we're doing is valuable. And th- the attendance was much higher because, you mm-hmm. know, they paid money for it. They had as they say, skin in the game. And then I just learned that. I just learned that. Actually, uh, someone's always paying for your program, whatever it is. And the biggest pay you want is for people to pay attention, (laughs) right? So if they're paying attention, then they're going to have better benefits. And that's what happened in that program. Then we started to do that with the other health programs. Was that one of the first times you had charged? Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were kind of nervous about that. Now, I would say this on the other side of it. In a church, um, I don't want to turn anyone away for money. So I would invite pastors to come to our programs, and I'd let them come free as long as they didn't miss. Mm -hmm. They did miss. They had to pay. (laughs) Then also if someone came from the community that couldn't afford it, I would get scholarships for them to do that, but I would say someone's paying for it. That way they always knew the value of it. Someone pays. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. the same thing in theology. You know, we say – you know, I'm saved by grace. It's free. It's not free. Hmm. Jesus died, hmm. right? Yeah. And he continues to suffer and pray and invest in you. He's paying a lot. Um, it may seem free to you, but it's costly. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And some people say, well, we're not saved by works. That's true. Not our work, but someone's working. The angels, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we have to look at things, I think, spirit, uh, in the spiritual economy like we do in business. Hmm. And um, whatever you're doing um, as a Christian is very valuable because you're talking about the precious blood of Jesus, which is more valuable than gold or silver, we're told in the scriptures. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So... I think it's a very spiritual thing to charge <laughs> and to think about the economy of what you're doing in the church. Hmm. Now, all these people you know, that paid into these programs, that then funded our evangelism. Wow. So some years, you know, we would bring in thousands of dollars, and that we never kept any of that, but it went directly into funding evangelism. Hmm. So we would pay for our, you know, an evangelist to come in from amazing facts or do our own series or it is written or, you know. Hmm. Uh, so you're actually quite business-minded. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not with the details of business, not the greatest, but with the concept, overall concept, I would my church treasurer and the other people would do all that. Hmm. They would do the accounting stuff. I'd be more of the sales and marketing, <laughs> I might say. You know what I mean? And yeah. I told my members every meal is a marketing situation. If you eat like you're supposed to in a restaurant, you're actually marketing the church. Mm. Everything you do is building the king's business. We must be about our father's business. (laughs) That's right. Weimar offers two tracks, healthcare administration and organizational management, which are led by experienced professors and successful business leaders. If you long to bridge the gap between business and mission, go to www.wema.edu for more information. So getting back to Pathways, how does that, um, you're talking about the health program and then... Pathway to Health. So what happened there was all this history from the 20 years, you know, or 13 years in that other church with the success, I... I, first of all, ran an evangelism school at Amazing Facts, Amazing Facts College of Evangelism, and then had a health track in that. But I always thought, man, we could really make that better. And so um, when Dr. Nedley extended the invitation to work at Weimar, um, I, I took that opportunity and started the health program and then began to study through everything I had done in my church as well as the evangelism school and say, how can we really kick that up a notch? I saw in the book of Daniel that every single chapter in Daniel has a health component to it Hmm. as well as a prophetic component. And I got very excited because many times people think that uh, um, that the b- study of the of the Bible is kind of theoretical and that doesn't have practical application. Suddenly, when you read the Bible through the lens of health, it has practical, immediate application, and people get very interested in that. But the biggest thing that really hit me was the study of Daniel 8 and 9. In Daniel 8 and 9, you have five, the give me five principle, okay, five things. And they're all built around health. Number one, rebuilding a health center. The temple had been knocked down, and that was the center of the economy and also health care. Health care was a part of the church back then. Hmm. So they, re- they built that, um, that temple. The temple was built on the same book that in your class you're drawing principles from the book of Leviticus about the economy, and it talks all about stuff in the economy. I just listened to the Pentateuch over the last few days. Mm-hmm. And 
it's talking all about, but it's also talking about health and economy and quarantine and everything that we're going through right now, pestilences, pandemics, talking about all that, right? Mm-hmm. But I noticed something. It moves towards ultimate health. It talks about clean drink, clean meat, clean houses, clean bodies, clean this, clean that, and it moves towards the cleanest day of the year, um, which is the day of atonement. Hmm. So it's moving chiastically or kind of like a pyramid all the way towards this ultimate day of atonement. And when you build your church around that concept, it's cleaning people up, you know. It's cleaning people up. It's getting them healthier. And so Paul summarizes the book of Leviticus, which, by the way, is the center of the Pentateuch. And chapter 16 is the center of that by saying whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory. The glory was most manifested on the day of atonement of God. Mm. That concept was huge. So I said, look, the church is like a, it's like a hospital. It's like a healthcare center. And again, then all those programs with, that I talked about, you know, uh, people are coming. And they're, they're not just on the physical side of health. They can be in the emotional, the mental, the spiritual. So depression, recovery, anxiety, recovery. All these things begin to plug into that model of the local church as a health center that's about God's business, his business on earth. He went about you know, preaching, teaching, healing, more healing than all the others. So then you have that. And then the second thing after that was, okay, 483 years later, later he enters the sanctuary itself that he has actually had rebuilt and he comes in it and they kind of had messed up the business model and made it avarice and taking people's money and it was a bad business model and he turns the tables upside down he says no this is my house is called a house of prayer and by the way you're supposed to be healing people not just making money because the Levitical system, they had to have a, a sacrifices and all these different things that were related to dermatological issues in chapter 13 and 14 and other things. But they had kind of sidetracked it all and just taking people's money, but not really caring about their real health physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So he enters into it, right? And for three and a half years, he heals people. And pretty soon everybody's coming and it's amazing. Um, of course, he gets in trouble. They his ultimate miracle was healing Lazarus. And they said, that's it, we're gonna kill you because he was actually taking away their market share. He was taking away their ability to be the ones in control of the business model that they had set up. So they got really upset about that. Um, and so they killed him, right? Yeah. But when he was dying, he, he initiates a new program because he's a man acquainted with sorrows and griefs and anxieties, as it says in Isaiah 53. That's depression and anxiety recovery. He's a man that understands what we're going through. He enters into it. So the church then is the place, the ultimate place, not just for physical healing, but emotional and mental healing, and that's demonstrated on the cross. Mm-hmm. So then, so you have 27 AD, you have 31 AD, so the give me five principle, you know, 457, the temple was rebuilt. Um, then 27, uh, Jesus was baptized and initiated that health ministry. 31, he dies and initiates the depression, recovery, and anxiety type aspects. He just underlines that. Then comes the exciting thing, and this is what led the pathway to health. Um, this is the sermon, by the way, that, that I preached that led to that. Okay. And then what happened was uh, three and a half years later, or three, you know, three and a half years after the cross, the disciples had followed the same model of Jesus. They had went about healing and all these different things. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 10. Um, and 
everybody was just uh, responding well to them and they were led by a man named Stephen and Stephen said look you know what you guys uh, were neglecting the Hebrews and the Hellenists or the Hellenists because of the Hebrews so Hellenists were Greeks and the Jews and he says we got to serve everybody so he served everybody and that got the attention of like all the priests and the priests were the the priests were the pontus I mean the, the leaders they were the leaders of health you had to go to the priest to you know Jesus always goes show yourself to the priest and the priest was in making this this distinction but now likewise the disciples were taking care of different ethnic groups and that was reaching society so you had um, a sanctuary that was built was this, was was the center of health. You had physical acts of healing. You had spiritual, mental acts of healing, and now you had social acts of healing. So I preached that sermon right. I went to a uh, a lay organization of the Adventist Church called ASI, and I preached that sermon in a kind of a provocative way. I said, you know, we're here in a hotel, and we've got like three rich people here. And everybody knows who they are, and they're trying to get them to give donations. And we're doing this over a weekend. I'm not sure that Jesus would be pleased. Uh, let me share his paradigm here about how he reached the world. And I shared those five points, right? Mm-hmm. I gave you the first four, but the fifth is the Adventist church is supposed to have a sanctuary message that leads to physical healing, emotional, mental healing, and reaches the community. So I, I, I shared that message. And, it, it, you know, I, I listened to it, actually, that message. Someone sent it to me recently, and it was kind of like a provocative message. Um, and afterwards, they, they immediately came to me, two people that were real, two physicians that were really into this. And they said, would you come to our board meeting? And I was like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't like board meetings that much. I've got plenty of my own. But then they said, we'll give you a free lunch. So I went. And... <laughs> So I go to the board meeting, and at the board meeting, you know, they're talking about this or that. And, you know, I said, it's obvious you guys are not where you need to be. Um, you're not as radical as Jesus. And, you know, that's okay because you're latency. And, and um, you know, maybe at another time. No, don't leave. Because when we started talking about it, and then they started to adopt it conceptually. And you want me to keep going because I could tell what happened. But yeah, yeah, keep going. So, so after that, after that happened, right? <laughs> after they they did that conceptually, then they had to start talking to people in the community because I said, look, what we need to do is we got to get stadiums. We're going to fill up stadiums with healthcare workers, all the equipment, and people are going to come to these stadiums, and then they're going to go through this, and they're they're going to go through it all, and they were kind of looking at me like, what? <laughs> but some of them got excited. And then they started to call people up, like happened to be in California at the time. And they called various cities like L.A. That's a big job. Mm-hmm. And then because they had a stadium and other places. Pretty soon, you know, the people were they, – they got intrigued because giving free health care – we said it would be free health care. It's not really free. It's being paid for by volunteers that are coming and volunteering their time, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway – that concept uh, started to resonate with uh, with Oakland and San Francisco, the administration of those cities, and so we ended up going there, and it was uh, it was an amazing situation. We went to the armory, and on one side of the armory they had a pornographic studio, which we found out by going there. Um, 
and realizing <laughs> we were on the wrong side of the building. And they say, are you, are you here today? Are you the talent for today? And I said, no, no, <laughs> we, we don't have that talent. Um, and we don't want to expand it anyway if we did. So, but then we went on the other side. And this was a very kind of dark, seedy place of town. And this one guy comes up to me, he goes, why are you here? This is a place of darkness. You're going to get hurt. And I was like, well... We're here representing the light of the gospel. And he was like, you know, you're, you're crazy. But we set up the clinic, it was amazing. Pretty soon people wrapped the entire armory three or four times and they were there for dental services and for eye services. Those were always the two biggest of these clinics because people don't have that kind of insurance usually. Mm-hmm. But many other things as well. And they came, they just came and they just, and then this got the attention of of the leadership of the church. They begin flying in um, for photo opportunities and they wanted to be a part of it. And this 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 kind of triggered that whole thing. That was very interesting economically too because all these people that came to help, we had 700 people. The year before at the, at the ASI, they had like 100 and maybe 150 people. I don't know if it was that much. And they had an offering of $10,000 that was related to their appeal that they made. Um, they didn't even hear, they heard the sermon, but I didn't make an offering appeal. I kind of wish I would have, but then the next year, this got out and they came and and I tell you what, these people were like in the zone. People that never worked before, before, you know, ministers are supposed to work with physicians and health care workers, but many times that doesn't happen. But they came together. The lay people came together. There were people that had to pick up the trash. There were people that had to give out masks. There were people that had to do all things. And all these people were put to work, just like in the ancient sanctuary, you might say. Mm-hmm. Everybody had a place to be at, at work. And, you know, work for other people is very, very um, medicinal. And people, you kind of get high, like most high, because you're following the most high model, right? And all these people came together and they were excited. They were they were so excited and they were like liberals and conservatives and independents and Republicans and Democrats, they were all working together. <laughs> it wasn't like, um, they were all working together for the good of something else and someone else. And so we started on a Wednesday, I think it was, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, ended at noon. And then we invited people to Friday night services where they shared their testimonies and then Sabbath where they came to a Sabbath service and all these people that had come through. It was amazing. You know that one guy who said, this is a place of darkness? He found me. He he goes, this was a place of darkness, but you guys have turned it into a place of light. Wow. And then I said, you know, why are you here? You asked me why I'm here. Why are you here? Um, Why would you come to a place of darkness? You described this place as a place of darkness. You told me that people go to the bathroom on the streets all around here and you have to watch where you step. You told me all this. Why are you living here? And he goes, he kind of put his head down. He goes, I don't know. But could I I work with you guys in your next clinic? Because I'll hitchhike there. I'll go with you. And I said, you know what? What does your father do? And I was like, my friend was with me, like looking at me, like you are weird. Why are you asking? Me? I don't even know why it came to me. But then when he answered, I knew. He said, "Well, my dad is a Baptist minister." I said, "I don't suppose you're a Baptist." He goes, "No." And then I said to him, "I said to him, you know what? I think you should be about your father's business. Business, mm-hmm. your father's business. 
not just your father, because this is really that. This is what Jesus did. And like I just started crying. Hmm. He says, you're right. I need to have a focus helping people. So just to give you an idea of the business model, <laughs> all these people were paying by paying attention to other people. They subsidized their own trips. All these medical people that came, six, I don't know, five, six hundred medical people, they brought their staffs with them. These are dentists. These are doctors. Think about what that is. We begin to add it up. It actually ended up being, you know, several over a, <coughs> definitely like $2 million of that clinic of just donated time. Wow. We begin to actually look at this, and over time, coming out of that sermon, that sermon, I would say at this point, the last time I talked to the leaders, it's millions of dollars. I think the last time they told me it was like $30 million had been given in ter- terms of equipment and time and all this kind of stuff, maybe even more than that, when you look at the number of clinics that were done. And then the people themselves, you know, at the end of it, they were listening to all the testimonies of changed lives. And then I said, well, they said, we need to take up an offering because we want to do another one of these. They were so excited. So he took up an offering. And instead of being $10,000 like the year before, it ended up being $268,000. $268,000 came in. Praise the Lord. And that was, that's the Lord, right? Yeah. And that then allowed them to get equipment, allowed them to go to other places and be about the king's business. Wow. And so, look, uh, there's not really a ministry without a margin of income of something. Mm-hmm. You know, the tithe or offerings, in this case, was off, it was sacrificial offerings of in-kind giving coupled with donations from not only the faith community, uh, my faith community being the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but also from other stakeholders in the community. And so you're, you're talking to all of them. You're talking to people that are not of your same faith. Jesus didn't just keep to his same faith. He, uh, you know, he wanted to reach the entire world, and he had to have a business model that did it. And, the, and, and, and this is what happened in every city, hmm. you know. But it was all based on that prophecy of Daniel 8 and 9, right? Right. The give me five principle. Yeah. San- create a sanctuary space, okay? If you want to start a business that for God, create a sanctuary space. I don't care what your, your business is. You want it to have a sanctuary space. So like my great, my grandfather, he, he, he started a, um, he got fired for keeping the Sabbath and he started uh, a business um, fixing people's cars. So, hmm. Um, and this was because he told someone they got fired for the Sabbath and it was a Jewish lady. And she said, you become a Jew. He says, I'm not a Jew. Explained <laughs> it to her. But then he started fixing her car and her friend's cars. And she, she goes, you need to start a business. Jews start business. You're a Jew. He says, I'm not a Jew. <laughs> he goes, you are a Jew. And then so he started a business. What are you going to call it? Uh, I'm going to call it Gordon's Auto Shop. Gordon's Auto Shop? Who's going to come to that? You need to name it something over what you are passionate for. And you're passionate for the Sabbath. You're passionate for your religion. So, you know, he puts the Sabbath commandment on the, in the front of his shop. <laughs> you know, so people go, wait a minute. This is like Sabbath shop. This is like <laughs> Ten Commandment Auto. And they're looking through the pages and they're saying, which uh, auto shop do I want to go to? Well, I want to go to that place because that person's probably honest Mm. If they're calling it, have a Ten Commandments on the front. Right. So that's creating a sanctuary space. Yeah, that's sense. creating an uh, idea that God is number one, and I'm faithful to God. And if I'm faithful to God, 
I'll probably be faithful to you. People do it all the time. They wear their little crosses and sell pillows and all kinds of stuff like that. And sometimes they're manipulative. But if you're the real deal, if you really are faithful to people, you create that sanctuary space and suddenly your business is his business, not just your business. So I think that's number one. Number two, enter the business with physical acts of healing. So that's what Jesus did. He helped people physically. And if you help your employees physically, if you help the customers physically, if you take concern for you know, what they're eating, what they're drinking, not in some kind of weird way, but some way to help them to have better life, your business is going to grow. It's going to grow because you're actually ministering to people with your product or with your persona or with your, you know, the vibe. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And then, then as you as you create that space, you enter that space with physical acts of healing. Then people open up emotionally. So you know, remember the next thing Jesus did was emotional healing and dealing with depression. They start then letting you know what their thoughts and emotions are, and then you need to go on the cross for them, just like Jesus did. Hmm. Sacrificially serve them in some way, hmm. and uh, when you start doing that. And then guess what they want to do? They say, man, this is the best thing that ever happened. And not only do I feel better, I want to do the same thing, just like Stephen did. Mm. And I'm going to start dealing with issues like disparities of ethnic groups that are receiving food. That's what Stephen did. Some way in the community where now my business is being a part of the solution to the problems of the city. It's not just about me. It's about the, um, the community. It's about serving them as Jesus would do that. And that's that's number four. And, I mean, these, these are the business principles, right? And then if I could link up with a church that has that as its actual whole thing, as a, <laughs> whole foods, <laughs> you might say, you know, that can really change people, and I can create a sanctuary s- space or I can link up with it. My business is now linked with the sanctuary, you might say, and the sanctuary message of, and then the physical acts of healing, the emotional, mental, and social acts of healing. Suddenly now my business is his business, and I'm linking people not just to life, but eternal life, not just to avoiding death, but avoiding the second death. And my marketing and my, my, uh, my whole idea is not just life, everlasting life. And people now, they're, they're connected to something much more important than my bottom line. It's God's bottom line. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of... Yeah, that makes sense. And so what are those? What were those five steps called again? What did, the give me five principle? Give me five. <laughs> and I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Uh, maybe I should uh, patent coin this that. or something. Coin that, yeah. No, this is uh, the give me five are, are create a sanctuary space, number one. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, even right here in this podcast room, we have kind of a sanctuary place. You're on the edge of your seats. We're all excited because we're talking about cool stuff. Create a sanctuary <laughs> space. It can happen even on a plane, but create a sanctuary space, number one. And it can happen in your business. It can happen in every interaction you have concerning your business. Create a sanctuary space. Number two, enter it with physical acts of healing or physical awareness that can lead to better physical health. So what's your lobby look like? What's your vending machine look like? What's your, what does your, uh, your lunches for your employees look like? You know, physical acts of healing. What's your exercise program within your corporation? Um, What's your health care plan? <laughs> okay. So um, sanctuary safe, space, number one, space. physical acts of healing, right. physical awareness, number two. Number three, emotional and mental awareness. 
dealing with people's stress, anxiety, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Because you've won their confidence, they realize they're in the sanctuary, they realize you feel, care about them physically, but now you're entering their, their, their thoughts, their emotions, their beliefs. Right. And you're willing to go on the cross for that, like Jesus went on the cross. You know, he was a man acquainted with sorrows and griefs. So you need to be acquainted with the sorrows and griefs of those who work with you. You need to enter into that. They need to see that you also um, are um, entering into the suffering that comes as a result of true ministry. You don't just tell them to do something. You don't do it. Mm-hmm. You don't just say, pick up your cross and follow me. And by the way, I don't. I can't die on a cross because I'm God and I'm very essential. So I can't have that. No, he dies on the cross. And then he says, you pick up your cross and follow me. Right. Then... Um, have the Gentiles and Stephen. Then you have Stephen right. comes along. So create a sanctuary space, physical acts of healing, emotional, mental acts of healing on the cross, then finally social acts of healing that involve many other people, right? Right. And it's introducing them to all your, your core concepts, right? Right. And then finally formalize that by attaching it to what God is doing in the world, which is what he's trying to do, is create sanctuary spaces, enter them with acts of physical healing, emotional, mental acts of healing, and then rock the society with it. I mean, we don't go into business for ourselves if we're Christians. We don't go into business to get rich. Hmm. We go into business to, to uh, share the riches of the gospel. Right, right. That gives us meaning, that gives us purpose. If we go into other things, then at the end of the day, we might get rich and we might get to the top of the mountain, but it's the wrong mountain. We find out nobody's there on that mountain, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what I'm noticing from what you're saying is if you hit, it seems like if you hit like the biblical sweet spot, like if, if God is there and um, it's a present truth uh, type ministry, that the funds will, the funds will come because it seems like it just, it just happens sort of naturally. When when you were when you gave that sermon and then all of a sudden people started contributing, people recognized it as something present truth uh, that they should be doing this right now. That these these things these kind of like all the money just sort of appears there and God moves on people's hearts just to get there. So my follow up question would, would kind of be like, well, what what kind of uh, businesses or ministries do you think Adventists should be getting involved in at this time? Well, you're never going to go wrong if you're involved in one of these physical aspects of ministry, you know, physical, emotional, mental healing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anything related to that. And you're never going to go wrong with uh, uh, social acts, you know, where your business is helping society better themselves in those ways. Um, You know those are going to work because God is at work there. You know that. I mean, look, I've been... A minister for many years now and I've heard I've gone to many seminars and I've gotten many books and flyers about all this stuff that they think they're going to grow their church which the church is a business it's God's business right right they think they're going to grow their church with stuff that you don't find in scripture really or the spirit of prophecy and all that does is divide churches and mess up your business hmm. and mess up God's business so if you can find things that are inside the loop so to speak, inside the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, and you see them there, then you're building your business on that. And if you also use the principles that you see there, then you're going to prosper according to God's plan, I would say. So, you know, lots of people do lots of things 
Um, and But they, you need to keep in mind the real mission, which is not just life, it's everlasting life. Hmm. It's, you know, it's not just avoiding death, it's avoiding the second death. And you have to s- create a business where you can actually foster those things, talk about those things. Don't put yourself in partnerships with people that don't believe in that. Don't unequally lo- yoke yourself that castrates your witness. This happens a lot in business. You know, well, I, I'd like to be able to talk about that, but my partners won't let me do that. Mm-hmm. Just be very careful about any of those kind of things. Okay. Never compromise on the Sabbath if you want to prosper spiritually. Don't do that. Hmm. Um, you'll you'll prosper more if you follow God's plan, just hmm. like my grandfather. Right? He actually had a business. It prospered. He had numerous people that were introduced or come into the church. Wow. He added a tithing aspect where he said, I'll give you 10% off if you listen to my Bible study. <laughs> and he had to, you know, memorize all the texts. And then he would give Bible studies while he's fixing their car. So always think about that. How are you going to share the message within your within your business line? Hmm. Yeah, I sense. actually have a lot of businesses I'd like people to start. Like I'd like people to start like a cafe, the Daniel Cafe, you know. <laughs> The oh, Daniel yeah. One burrito. <laughs> and talk. I, I mean, look, I even have it in my mind. I like, instead of having Subway, pictures of Subways on the side, I'd like the 2,300 days. I'd like the 70 weeks. I'd like to have pictures of all the stuff we talked about, and they're going, what is that? And, and then they're sitting there, and they're, they're looking at, even at the wrappers of the sandwiches, they're like telling your message. Yeah. Huh. Food has to be good, though. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's got to <laughs> be good. <laughs> all right. Um, I was going to turn over to uh, Gabe and let him have a chance to ask a question yeah. if he wanted to. Yeah. In your experience as like a nurse, pastor, and someone who's been involved in multiple ministries, um, like what's some experiences you could share or advice for um, like Adventist business owners or people interested in starting businesses of like the challenges you face in like adversity that could help encourage them and that you've seen have like helped you grow as a like a nurse, a pastor, and just someone who's been active in ministry? Well, I think that every business is built on dealing with an adversity Uh or dealing with a disparity or dealing with a need. So every single business is built on that because you find an itch and you scratch it, you find a need. And so basically, you know, you're asking that question, what are the needs of society, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually? And then you're attempting to meet that need. Um, you have the same needs that everybody else does. So um, I think the biggest challenge is um, trusting God and his plan. Um, and that's a big challenge. Another challenge is sometimes people just think, you know, I'm just going to do this and I don't need help or I don't need to think it through. I'm going to build a tower without considering the cost. Like the Bible says, I'm going to consider a ministry without figuring out how things are going to work. And there's a tension between going forward in faith and then having people involved that can help you actually realize your dream. I can't really do too much stuff. I can talk. I can inspire. I can show people stuff. I can motivate people. But I remember we had some of the students. We went to one of our Pathway to Health things. And we were, I think it was down in San Antonio. And we were put in charge of following up all of the the uh, lab tests and then getting them all organized to go out to the churches where people would go and get the lab results and that's the way we were going to introduce everybody to the church and that model 
that was a disaster. I mean, that, that all. I mean, it was it was like thousands of labs and sometimes duplicates and sometimes people's names were spelled different. It was just a, it was a colossal nightmare. It was awful. But there was this Weimar student, um, Lindsay and Jessica. They're students, right? Mm-hmm. And they saw me. They yeah, they saw me like struggling with these logistics, and you know. Pretty soon, it's coming down to the nitty-gritty of actually getting the thing done, not just talking about how cool it would be when it was done, which was <laughs> I, I was good at that, and I got everybody there. And they devised this system to organize everything and save the day. Hmm. So this is the other principle. you got to surround yourself with people that actually can do what you say because hmm. you can't really yeah. necessarily do everything you say. So I think those are a couple. Yeah. And then, So don't lose your, your focus. i tell you what. After that, I was like, these people are gold they don't yeah. say much you know they're not giving a sermon but they're preaching a sermon with the nitty-gritty mm. and they're very invaluable very important people yeah well pastor don it was awesome having you here thanks for uh sharing your business advice your biblical advice and uh telling us a story those stories about how you how you uh were instrumental in pathways there Oh, by the way, I would say I certainly am not the driver of Pathways. The others, I mean, I was just a small, you know, conversation at the beginning and <laughs> just kind of supporting with my mouth. And at my activity, I mean, I went to every single one and was there, you know. But really the drivers were the people that picked up the idea. Mm-hmm. And you have to acknowledge that, you know. Yeah. You don't want to be a saying you did everything because if you do that you're not going to be doing much for very long (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well pastor don be great if you could just uh close with prayer for us all right father god thank you that we could come here and talk to dr dylan and gabe and the with the business students and thank you for this awesome podcast that hopefully will reach many and inspire many to be about the king's business bless the the uh everyone listening to this that you might give them a sense of purpose that they could enter into a sanctuary space with physical acts of healing and emotional mental acts of ministry and impact the society with their business which really ends up being your business in christ's name we pray amen amen thank you for joining us on today's podcast We would like to thank today's guests for sharing their story, as well as our team of business students who made this podcast a reality. I am Gabriel Harrison, and I'll see you next time for another adventure.